0: Good morning, everyone. How are you? Uh, My name is Eric. I'm one of the pastors here, and I want to welcome you to E3. As as Pastor Dan said, we're going to be um, celebrating the Lord's table this morning. And so I want to offer you some thoughts about what that means and some thoughts about some things that have been on my mind the past couple days. And and to that end, I want to invite you to... um, Turn in your Bibles, if you have them, to the book of 2 Corinthians, which is a letter from a guy named Paul to a church in Corinth. Uh, The scripture, as usual, will be on the screens, and it's also in your fridge fold. So uh, I'm going to read a few verses out of this book in chapter 4. Verse 7, Paul writes this. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. We're pressed on every side by troubles, but we're not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. We uh, just spent the last seven weeks talking about what Paul refers to as the light inside, uh, inside our fragile bodies, That's the gospel, like what we've been entrusted with. This story, this grand story of God and our part in it. I want to talk today about the other half of the equation. I want to talk about the fragile pots that Paul says. Paul knew what he was talking about when he used that, that image because clay pots were all over the place in the ancient Near East. Archaeologists have discovered shipwrecks that are just full of these Tiny pots sometimes, sometimes larger. They use them to transport everything. And let's face it, clay is is pretty good for transporting things. It can be watertight. You can put all kinds of things inside them. Paul says there's a treasure inside these clay pots. But even in Paul's culture and the way that Paul wrote, at the time he acknowledged that clay is not perfect. And if you look at the way Paul uses uh, the image of clay in, the, in his writings, there's always accompanying it this undertow of fragility. Because clay, as, as useful and as helpful as clay is, it's not perfect. And things can happen to clay. In fact, Paul lists some of these things. And I wanna kind of go back through the list that Paul, that Paul gives about what life is like, just in general, and with the gospel. And I wanna take out the second half of all of those things. He says, for instance, that we're, you know, things like crushed, we're pressed on every side. We have troubles, we're hunted down, we're knocked down, and we're suffering. Now, there's other halves of all of those phrases, but but what I wanna do today, if you guys would let me, is talk about just that. Because Paul says that inside these clay, inside us, is this great treasure. But in my mind, what I've been thinking about lately is that as we go through life, things happen things like things that are on this list. And so you might be living life, you might be in college, you might be in high school, you might be 30, 40, 50 years old, but you come up to something and you discover that maybe you lose a job and that's perplexing to you. Why'd this happen? And things get chipped away in our clay pots. And then Maybe something bigger happens. Maybe with your clay pot, there's an accident. Maybe there's an illness. Maybe there's something real serious. Maybe there's a loss or a death that you can't explain or get over. And pretty soon, our pot's start looking a little bit not so great. And we start to wonder, if I have this treasure inside me, when there's a hole in my pot, does the treasure leak out? And if there's a brokenness in my vessel, if my jar of clay Is so chipped and broken and cracked that anything that you would put into it would just run right through. Am I still used by God, like Paul says? Can I still have this treasure inside of me? And I want to suggest to you that at the heart of this is simply two halves of a question How does God respond to my broken clay? How does God respond when I suffer? Does he abandon us and say, well, you're too cracked, you're too chipped to hold the treasure that I've given you? I want to uh, talk about this question in light of a story that just popped into my head this week from the Gospel of John. It's in uh, chapter 11, and uh, just like the other scripture, it's in your fridge fold as well. This story is one of the last healing stories in John's gospel, and it is sort of the pinnacle of healing stories in John's gospel for Jesus. And the reason why is because Jesus brings a man back to life who is dead. And I'm just going to start reading, and we're going to make some brief comments about it as we move towards the table. Verse 1, a man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus's sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. And then finally he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. So a couple of things. Just to set the context, Mary, Martha, Lazarus, they're friends of Jesus. They live in Bethany, which is close to Jerusalem. Most people think that they're probably pretty well off as far as Jesus' followers go. They own a home that can accommodate multiple people. We know this from other stories in the Gospels. Uh, They can host a dinner party of around 15. And in that culture, that means that they had a pretty nice house. And he was close to Mary, Martha. And Lazarus, and he gets this word, Lazarus is sick, very sick. Jesus, you have to come. I'm just thinking about maybe if some of you guys have ever gotten that phone call. You have to come. Those are not pleasant phone calls to get. But what does Jesus do? He stays, he stays for two days. And then he says this. uh, this the disciples are like, well, we have to go. And Jesus says, you know what? We're not gonna go just yet, because this is going to uh, result in the glory of God. This is going to be about the glory of God. Now, the Greek word for glory is a very simple word. I'm gonna put it on the screen. We're all gonna get it's it's called doxa. Everybody say doxa. It means pretty much what it means: glory. You know the images of radiance and brilliance and worship. But the way John uses glory in his gospel has a slight nuance to it because oftentimes in John's gospel, glory is accompanied by teaching, by revelation, by learning. So when Jesus says in John's gospel, hey, this is going to result in the glory of God, it's not just going to be about the worship of God. Jesus is telling his disciples and the people around him, this is going to result in you learning something about the nature of God. You're going to be have something revealed to you about God that you maybe hadn't seen before, you hadn't thought about. So, Eventually, Jesus says, Okay, it's time to go. We're going to start heading to Lazarus' house. As he, as he gets closer to the house, he encounters the two sisters, first Martha and then Mary. And they come up and they say, You're too late. Lazarus is, is dead. And they each say, If you would have been here, Jesus, if you would have come, I know this wouldn't have happened. And Jesus says uh, to them, Hey, you, you don't know the whole story yet. I am not done. And he even says, I am the resurrection. Lazarus is not dead and gone, he will rise. And they continue to not quite understand what Jesus is saying, but he, he keeps telling them, it's not over. He comes to their house and there's mourners everywhere. And in the Jewish culture, especially back then, mourning was a serious affair. And, and I wanna suggest to you that like, sometimes we don't take grief as seriously as we should. Sometimes we kind of just wanna get over the rough parts and get on with our lives, But in Jewish culture, even today, when there's a death in the family, people from the community will come and they will sit with you every day for, I think, a month. And they will give you permission to grieve. And they will weep with you. Because sometimes when tragedy happens, we think that we have to put on this face. And the best gift that we can have is someone coming alongside of us and go, no, it's time to cry. In fact, I'll start crying so that you'll feel more comfortable to cry. So Jesus walks into this situation, people everywhere crying, and he says, show me where you've laid him. And amidst all the mourning, he goes to the tomb, and then the scriptures tell us that Jesus weeps. And a lot of times we're, we're used to hearing that as kind of Jesus showing his humanity, and obviously he was fully human. But what also is going on there is that uh, the word that is used there for weeping also has this indication of being really, really angry and really, really disturbed. And I think what is going on there is Jesus is saying, why are you weeping? I've told you that Lazarus isn't dead yet. I've told you that the story isn't over yet. Why won't you believe me? So that's where we're at. Then we're gonna pick up the story again in verse 39. Jesus says roll the stone aside. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he has been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Now there's a Jewish tradition that says that when a person passes away, their spirit remains close to the body for three days. So I guess... For three days, it's a little bit easier to resurrect somebody. But on the fourth day, the fourth day, the spirit is gone. So you can be no more dead than Lazarus is at this moment, according to this culture. Four days dead. But that doesn't stop Jesus. He responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory a revelation, a teaching, if you believe. So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here, which is a really weird prayer, so that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet Bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. So what does this have to do with clay jars? Have you ever considered, or have you ever been at a point in your life where you're like, I'm in the tomb. Or maybe your whole life's not in the tomb, but have you ever had a part of your life that is in the tomb and dead? Some area of your life, some part of your heart that is four days dead. There's nothing there. What do you do about that? You wonder, maybe, did God cause this? Did God punish me for something I've done in the past? And so he's put me in this tomb and I just have to accept it. Does God care that I'm dead? Does God care that there's a part of my life that's sealed behind a stone? Well, the short answer is, no, God is not punishing you. And yes, he cares. And I could give you theological proofs for, for all of that, but I'm not. Because I don't think that's what we need this morning as we go to the table. The bread and the wine or the juice is not about theological proofs. It's about a story. So I want to tell you a story. I'm going to show you a video. This is one of my favorite videos. Um, I probably, I have not been able to watch this video yet again without losing it. So I'm just warning you. Um, 1988 Olympics, Seoul, South Korea. There's a British sprinter named Derek Redman, 400 meters one hour before the race in the Olympics, one hour before the race, he tears his Achilles. He doesn't race, his Olympics are over. So four years later, 1992, Barcelona. Derek Redmond is actually the favorite to win the 400 meter sprint. He is trained, he is ready. He is prepared. He gets into the blocks and I'm gonna show you just the video. We're gonna watch part of it and then stop it. And I'm just gonna tell you what happens if you don't know the story. So watch this, please. He said, as he rounded that turn, he felt and heard a pop. Anybody know what happened? He had a hammy. I've never had a hammy before, but pulled his hamstring, popped. He said, in that moment, as he kept going, as he first was kind of hobbling around, he said, "My first thought was that I can still catch them." But then the pain just became too great, and he collapsed. In that moment. But the story wasn't done yet. Because in the stands that day, as probably would be in the stands for anybody, was Derek Redmond's father. And I want you to watch what happens when the father sees his son suffering. Roll it. Man, I love the Olympics. So, was Derek Redmond's hamstring healed when his father got to him? What? Not a rhetorical question. No. <laughs> Did Derek Redmond finish first? No. Was he limping? Was his body, his jar broken? But did he finish? Yeah. And did his father carry him? Yeah, his father carried him. So Jesus comes to tombs, tombs like ours, broken bodies like ours, And he stands in front of them and he says, come out. And some of us come out carrying our grave clothes. Some of us come out carrying chips and holes in our our jars. But he comes and he says, come out. We tend to be ashamed of the cracks and the holes in our jars, but we, let's be honest, we all have them. There's not a person in this room or at the 11 or at the 6 or in any church you ever go to that has a perfect clay jar. Some of them have tiny holes. Some of them are ruptured pretty well. We all have them, and we tend to be ashamed of them. But you know what I think Jesus says? Jesus says, you don't get it. You've got a treasure inside of you, but guess what is the other part of the equation? The cracks are the story. The cracks are part of the treasure. The holes are part of the story because you know what? Jesus' body was broken. His vessel was chipped, not like ours, but that's what these elements tell us a broken body. And I don't think Jesus was ashamed of his brokenness. In fact, I would say to you today that if you know where your chips and your cracks and your holes are, guess what? These tell the story of God's work in your life. These tell the story of your limps. But they also say, this is where my father carried me. I love that. I mean, you understand there's security at the Olympics, right? But was the father going to be denied when his child was suffering? No. You see those guys trying to like, you need to go back in the stand, sir. What do you think he had for them? He said, no, my child needs me. I may not be able to fix that hamstring. I may not be able to help him win the race, but we will finish together. And that's what communion means today. Because some, maybe today you would say, I'm in the tomb. Maybe you would say today, there's part of my life that's in the tomb. Maybe you would say today, I'm limping. I'm hurting. I've blown, something is blown out in my life and I'm collapsed. What these elements say to you today is that your role is to collapse into the arms of your father who will not be denied to get to you, who has come out of the stands, out of heaven, to earth, to where you are lying on the track and is, wants to lift you up. And when you finish and you limp, or when there's holes and cracks all over your life, you say, this is where my father carried me. We're not designed to do this alone. The treasure is the cracks. And I think when Jesus tells everybody in a way, hey, you're gonna see something about God today, the glory, the doxa of God. What Jesus wants to tell you is going to be revealed is that our God is a God that says, I will carry you when you are are blown out on the side and your cracks and the holes and the limps of your life tell the story of my love for you and for the world. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, Paul says he took this bread and he passed it around to his friends and he said this, this is my body that's broken for you. Broken. And then after dinner they says he took the cup and he said this, cup represents a new covenant that I am inaugurating through my death. And he passes it around. He says, do this in remembrance of me. And that's what we're about to do. And I I would challenge you today that as you rise up and go to the stations of communion, you need to go with the understanding that your role in this whole deal is to throw yourself in the arms of your father. Some of us wanna try and finish the race ourselves. That's not what we're designed to do. Some of us wanna hide the brokenness of our life. I believe scripture says your wounds, your brokenness is part of the treasure. It doesn't run out when there's a hole in our jar of clay. It is part of the treasure. I'm gonna invite us to pray and then we're gonna play some music and the table will just be open for you to go. As usual, we say, please don't go alone. If you're here uh, by yourself, find somebody to go with you. This is a communal thing. But go to collapse into the arms of your father.